I have used a lot of commerce platforms in the past. By far, the most robust is Shopify. No matter how complex your business needs and no matter how large your business grows, Shopify can handle it. And they do handle it for brands like Rothy's, Ruggable, Allbirds, Knox, Magnolia, Brooklinen, Glossier, and Cotton, to name a few. You may already use another e-commerce platform, and you may be super unhappy with it, but you've already put a lot of work into it, and migrating to Shopify could seem impossible. But I'm here to tell you that it is quite easy. When I migrated to Shopify back in 2022, their apps and tools meant I just had to make a few clicks and everything was ported over as if by magic. Shopify also lets you design your storefront however you like, which, from personal experience, I know isn't the case for many other commerce platforms out there. All these features and all this control can result in more sales more often, so stop leaving sales on the table, switch your business to Shopify today, and discover why millions trust Shopify as their all-in-one commerce platform to build, grow, and run their businesses. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial at shopify.com forward slash practical, all lowercase. That's one month for just $1 at shopify.com forward slash practical, shopify.com forward slash practical. Seed DSO-1 is a daily symbiotic, which is a probiotic and prebiotic formulated to provide benefits for gut immune function and whole body health. I take it every morning before I eat, which is when it works the best, and I have noticed a big difference in my digestion, regularity, and even my skin. It's nice that this benefit comes in a small package that needs no refrigeration and really is just a couple of simple, small pills. You also get this cool little travel vial in case you're traveling, so you don't have to stuff a bunch of loose pills in your pocket, which is nice. It's also nice that this product is so rigorously tested from a scientific perspective, which makes seeds probiotic research, development, and innovation programs a lot more trustworthy. So trust your gut health to Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. Go to seed.com forward slash practical and use code 25practical to get 25% off of your first month. That's 25% off of your first month of Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic at seed.com forward slash practical with the code 25 practical. Good morning, Prokoptons. Welcome back to Practical Stoicism. I'm your host, Tanner Campbell, and today we're going to cover meditation number 44 from book four, and we're going to answer a listener question about marriage and divorce from the Stoic perspective. I want to thank all of you who are submitting questions at stoicismpod.com forward slash ask because you are going to be responsible in a large way for helping to make the daily episodes longer than they are when they're just the meditation. So I really appreciate it. And I'm sure other listeners do as well. Before we start, a quick reminder, we have a Discord community that is free to join. There are almost 300 members strong in there from all over the world, and if you would like to join it, you can go to stoicismpod.com forward slash discord. There's always a link in the show notes of every episode. We would love to have you in there. We have a lot of great conversations, panels, guest speakers. Again, the Discord is free to join, and we would love to have you. Moving on, let's start with today's meditation, which reads as follows. Everything which happens is as familiar and well-known as the rose in spring and the fruit in summer, for such is disease and death and calumny and treachery and whatever else delights fools or vexes them. Marcus is coming in hot today. 
Are you vexed by things? Delighted by things? Why? These things that inspire those feelings have always been things that exist. It's never been the case that death hasn't happened, or disease, or treachery, or fill in the blank. Nothing is new, and everything and anything should be expected within a lifetime, if you're in any way reasonable or sensible in your expectations of life. It's the same for good things as well. The blooming flowers in the spring, the fruitful fruits in the summer. There are seasons, and they come and go. And you know this. So when something good happens or something bad, why are you vexed? Why are you delighted? Are you a fool or something? I personally think Marcus is being a little rough with himself in this one. I don't think it's unstoic to smile when something good happens or cry when something bad happens. And while that might not be the case for the sage, we aren't sages. And sagehood, to presumably all of us, is an ideal we strive towards while recognizing probably ain't never gonna happen. It's like striving to be the perfect parent. You'll fail, undoubtedly, and I'm sure many parents will tell you that, but that effort to be the best you can be will make you a really great parent. The takeaway from this meditation probably isn't that you need to smack yourself in the face every time you get angry or excited because of course things are going to go wrong and of course sometimes they'll go right. Instead, maybe the takeaway is that you should be more prepared for inevitable outcomes. Illness is inevitable. So is pain. So is loss. So is joy. Doesn't matter who you are. Bill Gates or Bill Nobody. Good things and bad things are going to happen to you indiscriminately. And to wrap up, I think the takeaway is just that you need to be less aloof in your expectations of life so that when inevitable things happen, you're more intellectually and, if you like, spiritually prepared for them. No matter how you slice it, a car accident that results in the loss of one of your legs isn't going to be a fun experience. But if you've shaped your expectation of life to include things like this possibly happening, it might be the case that when you do lose your leg, if you do, I hope you don't, it's a little easier to accept the loss and more quickly recover your meaning and the value of your life. This is, by the way, and to reference yesterday's episode a little bit, easier to do when you perceive virtue to be the only good or the only thing that really matters, because guess what you can still be and still do whether you have no legs, one leg, or two? You can still be virtuous, and you can still live a good life. Today's listener question comes from Peter Fisher, and here it is. My marriage has been rocky for several years, and I kind of feel like I'm in that and repeat stage of life where I know it may not be the best fit for me, but I'm so stuck in comfort that, you know, fear makes me uh, resistant toward starting something new, starting a new journey and doing something different. So my question is, what would some of the Stoics theory or philosophy be on knowing when a marriage is or isn't serving you or whether you're serving or not serving the marriage? Thank you for taking the time to listen for listening to and uh, answering my question. Boy, oh boy, I thought Marcus was coming in hot today. Okay, so first off, this podcast isn't a therapy program. I'm not a therapist. Any advice I'm about to give is my best attempt to provide based on my ongoing learning as a Prokopton and student of the Stoic philosophy what I think a sage might advise you to do. I am not a sage, and my advice shouldn't be the sole advice you base any decisions about your marriage on. So with that disclaimer out of the way, that spiel, so to speak, here is my advice. First of all, you are married. 
So this isn't a casual relationship, and there were promises made when you got married, and I don't mean vows to God, I mean vows to one another. I can't speak to whether or not the Stoics would have been anti-divorce, but I can almost certainly say that they would have thought long and hard about the question, should I get a divorce? And I suspect that the answer only would have been yes when you had exhausted every effort within reason to keep the promise you made when you got married to your significant other. And I'm not unfamiliar with your situation. I know people in this situation right now, and a high percentage of them cannot articulate a great reason they want to end their relationship. They're just, in general, tired of it. They feel it's not great anymore, and they're kind of itching to leave it. I'm not saying that's you. I'm saying that's a lot of people I know. It might be you, but only you know that. I'm going to start here, though, because if it is you or anyone listening, it's worth taking that apart a little. And I'll start with a truism. Relationships are difficult from time to time. Sometimes relationships are difficult a lot of the time. And if that describes your situation, it may seem, especially with the common contemporary advice, that you've got to focus on yourself before you focus on others, and anyone who isn't making it easy for you to do that isn't someone who's on your team or isn't someone who you should be with, that there's nothing wrong with ending a marriage. But I will tell you that there is something wrong with ending it if the only reason is that you're tired of it. This isn't someone you're dating, it's someone you're married to. It's someone you promised certain things to, and who promised certain things to you. And out of those promises came a plan and a set of expectations about a life that would be built over time together. A marriage is a serious commitment, and perhaps that's another truism. And it's not something that is particularly responsible to simply disregard because it's become boring or feels like it's not working anymore. So the first thing to do, I think is recognize that there's a pretty huge promise on the line here. And I don't think that the Stoics would have been keen on breaking promises for anything but the very best and most well-reasoned reasons. I think that's fair to say. So now we've got to ask what the problems are and what role you're playing in them. It is very rare that any problem in a relationship can be looked at in a vacuum. And by that I mean singularly. One problem in a relationship, let's say infidelity, probably hints at hundreds of other problems, or maybe I'm exaggerating there, a few other problems. People aren't usually unfaithful for no reason. Now, of course, I'm not saying that's your situation. I'm just pointing that out. So this lack of fit you feel like you're experiencing right now certainly has at least one other side to it. And if it's only got one other side to it, that other side can only be seen from the vantage point of your partner. So let's take a common one. Your sex life has died down quite a bit. You haven't been intimate in a while. Anyone who's been married or just with somebody for a long period of time can identify with this. 10 to 20 years in, it's just not the same at 40 or 50 as it was at 20 or 30. People, it can't be. People change, needs change, and the most difficult part of a relationship, I think, is growing together and there are no doubt a ton of moments in that together direction where outside or inside forces will be making you feel like you're growing apart instead of forward. Sex is just low-hanging fruit, of course, and no pun intended, but it's something that is very often the first hurdle, the first big deal hurdle that we, as men, encounter in long-term relationships. We men seem to be very physical creatures. 
women seem more to be very psychological creatures, and I'm speaking to averages here. And while men require physical intimacy to be loved, perhaps the most of all, women often require the most of all a psychological intimacy, such as feeling heard, feeling appreciated for what they do, being noticed, etc. So if it is sex, the question why has to be asked and the answers to it need to be explored. And it may be shallow things. It may be your partner has gotten heavy, or that you have gotten heavy, or that you just don't know how to be intimate any longer because it's been so long. These aren't judgments. These are just things that might be true, and within the confines of your relationship, it's okay to be honest about these things. If your partner feels you've gotten fat and that's impacting the mojo, so to speak, within the confines of your honest marriage, the two of you, that's something that people, the two of you, need to say to one another in order to identify certain causes of roadblocks and issues. So again, if this is a sex and attraction issue, you've both got to sit down and talk about it honestly. And you may very well need to involve a third party in that discussion to do that, like a therapist who specializes in this sort of hurdle. Now, you might be thinking, I don't want to do that. That's weird. Well, okay, but that means you're thinking about ending your marriage because you feel awkward about taking the steps necessary to address and resolve the issue at hand or issues at hand. That's avoidance out of fear of discomfort, and that is decidedly not stoic, which is the kind of advice I'm trying to provide here, right? But maybe it's not sex, or maybe it is sex and a host of other things. Maybe you fight a lot. Maybe you have kids and your parenting styles are just really oppositional to one another. Or maybe you've become so ideologically different in general that you're so much not the same people anymore that it just doesn't seem to make sense to stay married. Well, if that's the case, you've got to do something similar to what I already suggested. You've got to have a conversation because if you're miserable and bored, chances are they might be as well. There are very few realities where you're the most miserable husband in the world and your partner is happy-go-lucky, entirely ignorant of your misery, and thinking all the while that everything in the relationship is fine. They have complaints too, and they might be feeling the same way that you do. So, then you've got to talk with them about it. And, again, you might want to involve a third party to talk about it with them. Because I can promise you, as someone who has been in therapy before, couples therapy I'm talking, it is hella hard to just walk up to your partner and be like, Oh, hi, we've been avoiding this issue for a decade, and I think we should sit down and speak rationally about it this Tuesday at 3 p.m. Because, guess what? They're pissed underneath the surface, you're pissed underneath the surface, and without moderation for that conversation, you'll start by laying out what seems like a reasonable grievance to them. And then, in less than five minutes, you'll be in a who-can-pile-more-complaints-up-higher situation screaming at the top of your lungs. And I'll share with you that I remember our first couple's therapy session. After the first hour, it was bonkers how much it felt like a weight was lifted off my chest just because these things were out in the open. And not just my things, but her things too. And at the end of that first session, it's not as though everything's resolved, but all of a sudden everything is in play. You become aware of grievances that they have, they become aware of grievances that you have, and you will be surprised at how much you're just not communicating to each other. And a therapist helps facilitate this because you've spent, you know, a decade ignoring the problem, and so have they. So it's obvious that neither one of you have any idea how to approach it or you would have done it already. But the long and the short of it, Peter, is that you can't just say, I'm sick of this shit, 
I'm not going to stay miserable just because of some stupid vows or the kids. They'll get over it. I've got to look out for me. And if I'm unhappy, I've got to get out. It's all about me. And then you just get a divorce. That's not what a stoic would tell you to do, I don't think. I mean, there are exceptions. For example, your partner might be abusing you. But outside of an extreme situation like that, I would say it's all but guaranteed that the ancient Stoics would have suggested at the very least that you have a responsibility to attempt to really try to discover and resolve issues in a marriage before walking away from a marriage. Now, to what extent you need to go on trying is probably an underlying question here, right? To what extent do you need to try? Should you be in therapy for 50 more years, constantly struggling to make things better, one little bit at a time, just because you're married? The truth is, I think the ancients would have encouraged us to keep trying and never stop. I mean, look at the idea of the nearly unattainable sage. The Stoics don't seem to have been the sort to advocate for trying only until you got tired of trying. They would have probably encouraged you to continue trying until you died because you can't divorce life. But you can divorce your partner, and maybe you should. But when and after how much effort should that be the decision? I don't know. Only you can know that. But I can promise you the Stoic approach would be to make sure you've genuinely tried to identify, address, and resolve whatever problems there are in your marriage before tapping out or filing those divorce papers. And if you have met your own bar in that regard, then I think you make the decision you feel is appropriate. And again, only you can know that. But I would like to caution you against thinking that whatever the problems are, that they aren't shared in equal parts, because they probably are. And if you expect improvements from them, it's only fair to expect improvements from yourself as well. And like I said, if you've tried and you feel you've honestly tried and it just doesn't work, then maybe divorce is the right answer. But that is up to you. And, you know, you may have that initial conversation with them and they might say, hey, you know, I feel the same way and I wasn't sure how to bring it up to you. And I would also like to get a divorce. And, you know, it's a promise not between you and God. I mean, unless you believe in that sort of thing, but it's a promise between you and them. Well, then you're the people who made the promise. So you're definitely the people who can decide to void the promise because there are no harmed parties in that case, unless there are children and then there may be additional considerations. But so long as both parents decide to responsibly parent as separate parents, I don't think the children should be too much of a consideration there, especially if they're very young. But I'm not a parent, so I will stop my advice there and hope that it is helpful, Peter. Thank you for sending it in. That's all I've got for you today. Thank you for listening. I will see you tomorrow for another episode of Practical Stoicism. Thank you for listening to this episode of Practical Stoicism. If you haven't already, I would really appreciate a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, or Podchaser.com. If you've already left a review for this show, thank you. I really appreciate it. Those things mean a lot to me. Thanks for listening, and until next time, take care.